Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Kevin Drewley, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, are fellow Associate Editors, Alan Ferguson and Barry Bettino. Hello, guys, and happy October. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Almost Halloween. It sure is. As we welcome you all to our October 2023 episode, number 44 in this podcast history, we also want to thank you for spending some time with us. These are busy days at the Council and in podcast land. We are fast approaching the 2023 NSC Safety Congress and Expo, set for October 23rd through 25th at the Ernest N. Morial Convention Center in New Orleans. If you haven't already, we invite you to please listen to a special episode of On the Safe Side, previewing Congress and Expo. Will we see you in New Orleans? Visit congress.nsc.org or download our free mobile app on your smartphone for a thorough guide. We only ask that you refrain from doing so while moving about the convention center. We all know that's textbook distracted walking. We also know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear more about it for the My Story feature in our magazine. Submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org. To view past My Story entries and catch up on all the news from around the safety world, visit our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's podcast, Alan will share the details of his feature story on respirable crystalline silica, a hazard in many industries beyond mining, in our deep dive segment. We also will be joined by Susie Craig, VP of Workplace Mental Health at Mental Health America, for the latest installment of our Five Questions With interview. And we also will share lessons from the past month in our aptly named What Did We Learn segment. Is everybody ready? Here we go. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we examine a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health magazine, and we call that our Deep Dive segment. In our October issue, Alan writes about respirable crystalline silica. What exactly is this workplace hazard, and who's at risk? Alan will tell us how this mineral, which is 100 times smaller than a grain of sand, can cause some very serious health problems for workers. Alan, could you please take our listeners on this very important deep dive? Uh, yes, I will, Barry, and thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, so we decided to re-examine respiral crystalline silica in part because in July, the Mine Safety and Health Administration published a long-awaited proposed rule to lower its permissible exposure limit. An official work on that rule began sometime in the late 90s, so it's a very long time, as, as these things happen can happen in the regulatory world. Uh, and part of the goal of this story was to provide some straightforward, somewhat basic information on respiral crystalline silica, which is a danger to about 2.3 million workers, according to OSHA. And we relied on the help from experts at NIOSH, among them are David Weissman and Barbara Alexander, along with researchers from the agency's mining program. And Natalie Fox with the American Industrial Hygiene Association also helped. I want to mention that Barbara Alexander is also an AIHA member. Here are some key facts about silica. It's another name for the chemical compound silicon dioxide. As you may remember from chemistry class, that's one part silicon and two parts oxygen. And silica is commonly found in the world and around us in two main forms, crystalline or structured and amorphous or unstructured. And the most common type of crystalline silica is quartz. 
And as many of you may know, that's often found in rocks, stone, sand, concrete, and mortar. And obviously, many employees work with those materials in industries such as manufacturing or masonry or construction. So respirable crystalline silica, as Barry mentioned, is 100 times smaller than a grain of sand. And that's why it's very easy to inhale into your body and your lungs. And that respirable crystalline silica can get trapped in the lung tissue and cause inflammation and scarring while interfering with the body's ability to take in oxygen. In turn, that can lead to medical conditions such as COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, tuberculosis, and silicosis, which is an irreversible but preventable lung disease, according to NIOSH. Breathing in crystalline silica also can lead to kidney failure and autoimmune conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis. So one of the main reasons why MSHA put out this proposed rule was because of respirable crystalline silica's connection to black lung disease. And there's been a rise in black lung because coal has been harder and harder to find and requires more and more cutting of the surrounding rock or stone. And that cutting kicks up silica dust into the air and then puts respirable crystalline silica into the lungs of some miners. You mentioned exposure limits in the proposed MSHA rule. was wondering if you could just speak a little more about that. Certainly, the MSHA rule is trying to match the permissible exposure limits in the OSHA standards, which is 50 micrograms per cubic meter of air averaged over an eight-hour time-weighted average. And OSHA also has an action level of 25 micrograms per cubic meter. And MSHA's current permissible exposure limit is 100 micrograms per cubic meter, and the agency wants miners to have, quote, at least the same level of protections as workers in other industries. Again, that proposed rule was spurred in large part by an increase in black lung disease or coal workers' pneumoconiosis. A 2018 study from the University of Illinois Chicago found that nearly 4,700 coal miners had developed black lung disease since 1970, and about half of those cases have occurred since 2000. Uh, another UIC study published last year deemed silica exposure, quote, a driving force behind the rising rates of black lung disease. And I'll add that two key ways to measure exposures are, are breathing zone samples and industrial hygiene assessments. Well, Alan, speaking of exposures, what are some ways to control those according to the experts that you talked to for this story? The best controls for respiral crystalline silica can depend on the work activity, the product, or production method, Natalie Fox said. She added that a combination of several methods might be necessary to control certain exposures, and she gave the example of engineered stone countertops. Fox pointed out that studies have shown that a combination of water sprays and local exhaust ventilation are best, quote, because water sprays were not always directed in the proper location. Also, using water may not be feasible for certain products or it may cause additional hazards, whether it's near electrical equipment or through potential slips, trips, and falls. And Table 1 in OSHA's Standard on Silicon Construction details engineering controls, work practices, and respiratory protection for certain tasks. And the NIOSH experts also noted that OSHA regulations require engineering and administrative controls to be used before the use of personal protective equipment, quote, unless they're unfeasible. The aforementioned use of water to reduce dust and local exhaust ventilation are two examples of engineering controls, and it, it, administrative controls for respiratory crystalline silica can include limiting the number of employees in a hazardous area, avoiding practices such as dry sweeping or cleaning surfaces with compressed air, and posting signs to alert workers of hazards. So, as always, respirators are usually the last line of defense and shouldn't be relied on as the only defense, the NIOSH experts stressed. Quote, unfortunately, many things can go wrong with respirators, such as not wearing them when needed, 
not functioning properly, not fitting properly, and so on. So they must be used in the context of a comprehensive respiratory protection program to minimize the chance of something going wrong. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for your work on this story. To read this feature, as well as other news from around the safety world, uh, please pick up the October issue of Safety and Health Magazine, or you can visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your path in the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. You can share your safety origin story by sending a submission to safehealth at nsc.org. Two-thirds of the more than 11,000 respondents to a recent survey commissioned by Mental Health America disagreed with the following statement. My company's leadership speaks openly about mental health in my workplace. Normalizing respectful conversations and attitudes around mental health concerns is an ongoing journey. Today, we'll learn more about steps workers and employers can take to this end as we speak with Susie Craig for the latest installment of our Five Questions With interview. Susie serves as VP of Workplace Mental Health at Mental Health America, an advocacy group based in Alexandria, Virginia. Her prior experience includes work as Chief Strategy Officer at Mental Health Connecticut, an affiliate of MHA. Susie, we welcome you to the podcast and thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks, Kevin. To start off, many experts say employers should prioritize workers' mental health equally with their physical health. Why is it so important to understand everything at play with mental health in the workplace? Sure. So at Mental Health America, we take a whole health approach. We take a preventative approach. We are hoping that um, companies and others will step back and think about, you know, what is it that it that people need to make sure that they are healthy and well overall. Um, and when it comes to thinking about the health of your organization. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's people. So far, <laughs> so far we're people that are still running the organizations, right? And I think we're we're in a different time. I'm a I'm a Gen Xer and you know, back when I was starting my career, these conversations really were not happening at all. Now we're seeing business leaders and obviously HR professionals and others really understand that health and well-being has creeped into our workplace. Thank you, COVID. Thank you, social justice uprising. Like we are all talking about and thinking about what we need to be healthy and well. And the workplace has a role to play in that. And I think it's also really important for leaders to understand that there's ROI attached to this as well, right? Yes, it's the right thing to do. And also, investing in the health and well-being of your people will lower your healthcare costs. It'll increase engagement. It'll increase productivity. It'll lower turnover. It'll attract the younger generations of talent who are expecting to be in a workplace environment that is supporting their health and well-being. So that's a long way of, of uh, saying that the work environment, whether you're remote or in-person or both, some of us are hybrid, um, that work environment is really impactful to our health and well-being. Susie, could you describe some ways that employers can better support their workers' mental health? Sure. So big question. <laughs> um, 
every work environment is different. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, from the manufacturing floor and, you know, obviously OSHA and physical safety, and I don't get into that topic in a little bit, those things are, are always top of mind. That's a different type of environment than the corporate environment where someone is working from their home all day long, right? Um, but the basic principles are the same. What we found in our research is that um, the core elements of building a psychologically, emotionally safe environment uh, is investing in your managers, investing in the ability for that workplace to build trust and support, making sure that there's effective communication, making sure that folks actually can raise their hand when they're struggling and say, hey, I need a break, right? Not every environment is is allowing uh, folks to do that. And so what happens is you, people may look for another job, not tell you why, but it could be a mental health reason. I think it's really important for leaders to know that this affects all of us at some in some way, shape, or form, right? One in four in any given year are going to be dealing with a mental health um, um, issue. But stress and burnout affect all of us, right? That, you know, when Mental Health America talks about prevention and intervention, you know, we want to make sure that um, everyone in the community and, and business leaders and, and organizations have a part to play in the community are focused on prevention and intervention because that's going to help all of us at the end of the day get ahead of this, right? And again, back to breaking the stigma and really making sure that you're setting the stage for people to let their managers and HR know when they're not doing well, that that will help us get ahead of all of these healthcare costs and everyone's health and well-being, and making sure that people get what they need to lower that stress and, and prevent that burnout. So we often hear about the stigma associated with mental health disorders. Uh, what guidance could you offer about overcoming these barriers? Oh, that's not a small question, <laughs> right? Uh, but I appreciate the question. Um, stigma sets up for discrimination. I think we need to to. You know, stigma is a tough word because it, it can feel sort of nebulous and ambiguous and and a little bit, you know, really challenging or difficult to get at. Like, how do I get at stigma? Um, one of the best practices, and there's there's many that we have found in our research and and working with companies directly. One of the best practices that we found is when leaders walk the talk, when they stand up and say how they've struggled in the past or they share their story you know it doesn't have to be a ceo and it, but anyone on leadership and c-suite that really builds trust that opens the door it allows someone to say oh okay it's safe here for me to to share what i'm going through as well um you know it sounds uh for some folks it sounds really difficult because you're you know choosing to be vulnerable you're choosing to put yourself out there um, but I can tell you in the companies that, that we've worked with, and I'm, I'm working with a company right now whose CEO is so passionate about making sure mental health is essential to their workforce. They share their story directly. Um, they encourage managers and others to share their stories openly. Um, and they do it on the regular, right? Um, and it's, it's that best practice that we've seen that helps to set the stage for creating that healthy workplace environment. Another non-small question, most likely. What is, 
What is psychological safety and how does it relate to mental health? Great question. So um, I'm not sure if you know of Amy Edmondson. She coined the term psychological safety, researcher from Harvard. Um, and actually, I have the definition ready. I had it ready so I can share it because it's it's a really good one. So psychological safety is a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes, and that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. That last piece, I think, is really important because it's one thing, you know, to feel like you have agency and you're empowered to speak up and say, you know, back to raising my hand if I'm struggling. But putting the focus on the team and that interpersonal risk taking goes back to and speaks to the environment and the workplace and who is setting the stage for making sure that there is psychological safety, just like you know, you prevent slips and falls. You make sure that, you know, everyone looks around their environment. They pick something off the floor to make sure that, you know, people are are safe um, and preventing um, anything with your physical safety. Thinking about, you know, this conversation that I'm having as a manager where I'm just checking in with my team and I'm asking them, hey, before we get into the work stuff, how is everyone? Are you Okay. You know, do you need anything? What's your, you know, stress on meter like? You know, there's even apps out there that will do like quick check-ins where you can do red, yellow, and green to test everyone's stress. Like there's all different ways to get out and make sure that um, managers are equipped um, to support their teams. Um, by the way, what we found is the managers and the training that managers get and the support that they get to support their teams is usually where a lot of things fall down, right? So many times, and you've probably experienced this in your workplace, if you're really good at your job, you get promoted to a management level. And then, then what happens? Do you get the training you need to create, you know, the support that's needed for your teams? Often that's not the case. Well, Susie, we appreciate you tackling these big topics for us. We did want to ask you, um, for employers and workers who are listening to the podcast, can you share some resources that for folks who may want to dive deeper into the topic? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, back to the conversation around stigma and and helping folks, you know, assess and get what they need. We have an amazing team um, that has created an anonymous site for screening so it's mhascreening.org anyone can go on and you can just check in with yourself i have these symptoms i think it might be anxiety or depression or whatever it is completely anonymous one of the best parts about that screening is you get to the end and you get connected to local resources right we don't want to leave you hanging we want to make sure that when you get to that screening if if you test you know, on the positive side of, of any of those symptoms that you're able to get connected to resources. Uh, specifically related to the workplace, mhanational.org slash workplace. So you can find our research and best practices. And this fall, we'll have a new mental health in the workplace toolkit and a lot more resources coming out. So make sure you, you know, track us and, and follow us on social as well. Um, we'll be announcing all of that in about October. Well, that all sounds great. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your insights and expertise about mental health in the workplace. We truly appreciate you joining us to discuss this topic. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. 
Albert Einstein said, Wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. In that spirit, we're going to discuss what wisdom we acquired this month in our What Did We Learn segment. And to get things started, I wanted to share with our listeners that uh, OSHA has released three new videos uh, supporting worker mental health. And these videos, um, which are available with Spanish language captions, uh, they include topics such as one called Start the Conversation, one called Tips for Improving Work Relationships, and another called Build Your Mental Health Toolkit. And as we all know, mental health uh, has become very important uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's affecting workers in many different ways. Um, those of us around you every day at the workplace are, are dealing with some sort of mental health, you know, it be an issue mild or serious. Um, and, and these videos certainly will will help both workers and employers kind of bridge the gap with this issue. Uh, Kevin, I'll bet you did not have me quoting Albert Einstein in your podcast bingo card this month, huh? That's right. It's it's all relative, as Einstein might say. But uh, no, I, I thought if you were going to quote an Albert, knowing you're a, a font of knowledge about the Missouri Valley Football Conference, you might have mentioned Albert Brown of the, the 86 Western Illinois Leathernecks, who is the league's all-purpose yardage leader that year. But no, not, not Einstein. Well, I appreciate that mention. And, uh, I, I had to look it up. <laughs> Kevin, tell us what you learned this month. Absolutely. Well, well, first, did learn quite a bit about silica. I'll not go with the first two descriptors of that because I know we were joking about that as, as we recorded. But, you know, do a fair amount of the, the MSHA coverage and the quarterly stakeholder calls. And certainly silica is big, again, on the mining radar. As Alan said, it's been in development for a quarter century. But just in addition to, you know, boiling down the mineral, but also just how it is applicable to so many other industries in addition to mining. So we, we get the proofs of these pages before you see them in the magazine. So it was, you know, certainly interested to, to read about that. Um, elsewhere with Congress reconvening after Labor Day, we're doing a little more legislative coverage and just there were a couple pieces that were of interest. One of them out of the Senate would make physical assaults on healthcare workers subject to federal penalties and up to 20 years of jail time. There was another bill that was introduced in the House and something that um, the Safety Council endorses and is behind, but that would direct OSHA to create employer guidance on acquiring opioid overdose reversal medications and training workers on how to use them. And NSC, of course, is very involved in that sphere and um, has a collection of resources out there called the Respond Ready Workplace Program that again, includes information and, and resources, namely about naloxone, which is an over-the-counter nasal spray. Alan, how about you? What did you learn this month? Yeah, that's an extremely important topic. Uh, speaking to the Mine uh, Safety and Health Administration, uh, there's a final rule that's currently under review by the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, and it, or it went to review on September 8th. And um, yeah, it's one of the final steps in the regulatory process. It would require mine operators to have written safety programs for mobile and powered haulage equipment. Um, that's powered haulage, I know, is a, a, a big focus for MSHA. Um, so this, this potential regulation would uh, apply to operators with six or more miners and would cover uh, the equipment, surface equipment or um, surface areas of underground mines, except for belt conveyors. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, MSHA published a notice of proposed rulemaking in September 2021 on that. So, you know, they're they're making progress. And I, 
you never know how long these reviews are going to take. Sometimes they take 30 days. Sometimes they take a year. So uh, that's definitely something to be on the lookout for. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing those lessons with everyone. And hopefully we'll see many of you listeners later this month in New Orleans, where there will be plenty of wisdom to be gained from all the events taking place at Congress and Expo. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this month's podcast. We know that your time is valuable, and we appreciate you spending just a bit of it with us each and every month. We encourage you to visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash podcasts to check out all of our past episodes. That includes episode number 17, during which we talk about using humor in safety. Also, we'll be doing a live podcast at Congress and Expo on Monday, October 23rd. You can find us at 1.30 p.m. local time at the NSC booth, which is number 2419. And we hope to see you all in New Orleans. We'd appreciate you rating, reviewing, and spreading the word about this podcast. To find stories such as Alan's feature on silica and all of the latest news from around the safety world, check us out at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on your favorite social media channel. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you so much, Steve. And a big thank you to all of our NSC colleagues behind the scenes who make this podcast go. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side.